Morning. Morning. Hope you're all doing good. Hope your bracket's doing good. Good luck. If you're doing good, man, I need to talk to you. You are a genius. Um, anyway, it's great to have you this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series on Genesis, and um, today's an interesting one. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to get into this in a second here. But first of all, just for review, chapters one and two of Genesis, man, we learn a lot about God. By the way, Genesis, you know, is, is a word that means the beginning. Um, it's the same root word that we get genetics from. And so when you think about our, our genes and our DNA, it's like when we are um, first conceived, it's like we have... There's everything there with about who we're going to be, you know, um, except for our experiences. But, uh, you know, what we're going to grow up to be, what we're going to look like, our traits, all those things are there in, in seed form. And that's Genesis for us. It's like the story of humanity, what we're seeing, what we're struggling with in our own life, what we're seeing as far as struggles around us. Um, what's the hope? Is there hope? All of that is given to us in seed form in Genesis. And so one of the things is uh, that there's a God, there's a God that's like no other. He is self-existent, he created all. Didn't need to, wanted to, okay? And uh, he, he wasn't, oh, I have to create because I, like, I wanted to be with people who have never existed and uh, because I need them. No, he didn't, he didn't need them, but, but he created us so that we can enjoy him and he chose to love us. So that's in one and two. Um, kind of two is life as it was meant to be, life for humanity in harmony with God, in harmony with each other. And this is um, God's intent for us. And yet he gave us freedom so that we could choose to, to love him back. And um, there came a point in chapter three where we doubted the goodness of God. We, as far as humanity, doubted the goodness of God and said, you know what, I don't trust you, God. I trust me more than you because I'm not exactly sure I trust putting my, my life in your hands. I would rather keep it in my hands. That broke our relationship with God. And so as individuals, there were consequences for that. Um, it's like, hey, you want life without me, you will um, get life without me unless you look back to me. And so chapter three, we see how not only did it impact our broken relationship with God, but now we start seeing how it impacts our broken relationship with each other. And then in chapter four, we see how it impacts family life and how messed up and, and Cain kills his brother, Abel. And th there's just strife and violence that is entering into the picture where God uh, intended us to live in harmony with him and each other. Now chapter six we're into today. Chapter six says uh, not only is, is you know, evil and brokenness as we follow ourselves, is there chaos in our own life, in our family's life, but in all of society, all right? And so we're gonna get into um, the story of Noah and the great flood, all right? Now a lot of times we think, okay, this is uh, one of those popular children's stories. Man, this is the most tragic um, natural disaster in the history of humanity. It, it is brutal. It is about violence, it's about the judgment of God, and it's horrific. 
And so this is a story that is meant for us as adults and not just a little thing in a children's book. And so one of the first things you think about, this is about the judgment of God. Um, Every story that has the judgment of God has, he is totally committed to um, stop injustice. He is a God um, that is righteous and just, all right? With that, at the same time, is he is a loving God. And we'll see both of those things today. Um, a lot of times in the Old Testament, you're looking at God and, he, and he's bringing judgment. Um, and yet you can also see in his judgment, there's salvation. In his judgment, there's patience. In his judgment, there's love. And we're gonna see that um, today. So he's full, I mean, it's his character. You, you can't take part of his character away. And so you can't just say he's a loving God and not also know that at the same time he is fully just, okay? But you can't say he's a just God, mean God, and say, no, he's not loving. Those things go together, and we'll see it, um, we'll see it today. Okay, Noah's Ark and the flood, is it history? Is it history, or is it a parable? Is it an allegory? You know, this, this made-up story to give a point. Well, the Bible treats it as history. Totally treats it as history. Um, Ezekiel, Isaiah... Chronicles, Matthew, Luke, First and Second Peter, and Hebrews all refer to Noah and the flood as real people, real events in time. Two and a half chapters in the book of Genesis are given to this flood. In that, in that two and a half chapters, there is all kinds of specific details about when and where it happened. A lot of specific things. And when you give an allegory, you don't do specifics because it didn't doesn't matter. What were they wearing that day? Doesn't matter. You know, it, and so when you see specifics, and it's true for writings of any history, um, detailed specifics regarding time and, and uh, what was happening, those typically are historical. The Bible totally treats it as history. By the way, in ancient, ancient cultures, um, in cultures today, over 200 cultures today from um, Africa to South America to um, Australian to Papua New Guinea to uh, Egyptian to European tribes have in their history a um, story of a global flood. And there's over 200 of them. Most of them say um, it was an act of God. To bring, ju- to bring judgment on the world. Most of them say there was a family that was saved. Most of them say that they were saved because they were on a boat. Um, so you might be thinking today, okay, well then Christianity just has just another one of those beliefs in this fable about a global flood. Or humanity all over the world has that as part of their history because it happened. So the Bible says it's history. There's, there's no getting around it. Um, that's what it's saying. Okay, before we jump into that, uh, I, I really debated over this. There, there's, as you get into chapter six, the first four verses of chapter six um, are the weirdest verses in all the Bible. I mean, they are just strange. It's like, what in the heck's going on? It gives us four verses, it tells us something, and then it doesn't tell us a lot. And I'm going, what does this mean? And so I thought what I'd do is just skip it. Um, <laughs> but then I thought, some of you know about these verses, 
And you're going to say, Town, you totally chickened out. And so I don't want chicken out. And so we're going to get into it. And, and if you, I mean, if this is your first time here, this isn't normal, all right? Um, but uh, this is, you're going to get the weirdest four verses in the Bible, in my opinion, all right? So here we go. You ready? <clears throat> when man began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, okay, so... Um, God said, be fruitful and multiply. I want you to multiply and live in harmony with each other and within me. We blew the harmony part, but we were multiplying. Um, the Bible says humanity was living longer than we do today. And uh, there's no preservatives, there's no additives, there's no pollution. Um, there was, uh, there's theory about what the, um, the atmosphere was like, so maybe no UV rays got through. and. And uh, so we lived longer, and so population was booming. Some say, man, it could have been a billion people living on earth during this time. So a man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. Verse 2, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men, or even some versions say, these were the giants who were of old, the men of renown. What in the heck is this talking about? Who is God talking, the, the Nephilim? Um, Men of renown, apparently giants. Um, who are these people? Where did they come from? Okay, so I'm going to give you a few, a few theories. Um, it gives us a little information about them, and then it really doesn't give us much else about them. And so it's like, hey, you just can't give us four verses that are like a bombshell and, and then just move on. But that's what is happening here. So let me give you... Um, Three theories on who this Nephilim is. First theory is that daughter, you got to go to the daughters. What is it talking about? Daughters of men, sons of God. Who are those referring to? Well, one theory says um, daughters of men are referring to the descendants of Cain. Cain was an evil dude, killed his brother, cursed by God, outside of the presence of God. His descendants um, would be considered uh, daughters of men. Sons of God, well, that was obviously Seth, who was his brother, who was a God-fearing brother. He trusted God with his life, so his descendants would be God-fearing. So that's what's talking about is Cain and Seth. Um, even though Seth was God-fearing, they blew it by um, marrying um, evil people, Cain, Cain's descendants, okay? That's one theory. I have no idea why that would produce men of renown, giants, but... Uh, so I don't think that's a strong theory, but that's a theory. Second theory is uh, sons of deity, sons, um, sons of God, uh, in ancient writings regarding ancient cultures, uh, kings were often referred to as representatives of God to their people. And so being referred to as a son of God would not be uh, out of the picture, all right? 
And so then you read things like these ancient texts. There's, a, there's ancient texts, there's a series of tablets, there were poems about what was happening in the time in ancient Mesopotamia. They're called the Gilgamesh Epic. And one of the things that they talk about is the rite of, rite of the first night, okay? So what that is is kings uh, had all power and authority over their, over their subjects and uh, a practice that was totally abusive, totally oppressive, a total misuse of their power was the right of the first night where they could say, if they, if they saw any bride getting married, they, they could say, I wanna sleep with her on her wedding night. I wanna be the first one. And as king, I can do that. Terrible, horrific, wrong practice. But that, that's a theory here is that, okay, this is, you know, this is how messed up society was where kings who were representatives of God would say, no, I'm gonna marry you. So that's, we learned that from historical writings of ancient history, but there's really nothing in the Bible to say, yeah, that's, that explains it. Um, theory three, most bizarre theory, and I, if I had to fill out my bracket, I would say theory three. Okay, here we go. The phrase son of a God is in Hebrew, it's benai Elohim, okay? That is used a few other times in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Every time it is used, it is clearly, outside of Genesis chapter six, it is clearly referring to angels. Okay, hang with me. So sons of God could be fallen angels. Okay, now in Revelation, we learn that um, before, somewhere before the fall of man, um, God created these angelic beings, okay, that do not live on earth, they live in the heavens, they worship God, and then one of those beautiful angelic beings was named Lucifer, and he led a rebellion against God. He says, I want to be like God. Who's with me? A third of those angels went with Lucifer. God cast them out of heaven. And so those are um, demons. All right. And so we believe that there's a spiritual world, that there is things going on that we don't see. And uh, there is a spiritual battle going on. And God is using his angels against the forces of our enemy, Satan and demons. Okay, so this theory is saying, man, according to the Bible, that, that phrase, benai Elohim, they are angels. And so these are, must be fallen angels, demons, who have sexual relationships with women, humans. And their offspring are these creatures called Nephilims, who are giants, who are legendary men of renown. And so you might think, oh yeah, Goliath, that, that would explain Goliath. Well, no, because all of them are wiped out in the flood. Okay, so whatever these things were, they were all killed in, in the flood. Now, here's a couple of reasons why I think, according to the Bible, this has some weight. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And 1 Peter also refers to this. But it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to 
chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. Okay, so apparently there were some demons that did something that was especially bad and they are already have been captured and thrown into hell. Now we know for the vast majority of demons, they are um, at work and they're, and they're free to roam right now. But some evidently did something terrible and were imprisoned for it. Jude, verse six. And the angels who did, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their po- proper dwelling, he has kept an eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So this gives us insight into first or second Peter is saying part of their, what they did is they left their own position of authority. They left their own proper place and did something um, in engagements when they should not have done and they're being judged by God. Okay. So are these two verses talking about what happened in Genesis six? Um, there's a couple more that are like this. So I'm telling you, I'm, I, I don't, it, it gives us a little bit and then it gives us silence. And so we're trying to figure out out of silence what happened. And if I had to say, okay, I I'm, I'm think most evidence is on which theory, I'd say sons of God are demons. And uh, so that's, that's your crazy lesson for the day. Um, and they were wiped out in the flood, all right? And so um, there, we didn't dodge it. Um, but you can just feel free to do all the studying on that you want. All right, so now let's get into Noah. So, that, so that's just talking about the evilness that was existed. All right, the point of that is like, this is how bad it was. This is, I mean, there, there was, um, and a thought with that theory three is that uh, God promised Adam and Eve, that there will be a day, even though Satan bruises the heel uh, of your ancestors, of your descendants, um, there will be one who crushes the head of evil. And so that was the first glimpse of the hope of the Messiah, the hope of who we know now as Jesus, all right? So the thought is Satan says, I'm gonna mess up the bloodline of humanity. I'm gonna mess it up so that there's no Messiah that could come. And so that was, in that theory, that's like some of the motivation behind it. All right, verse nine. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Okay, now there's hundreds of thousands, millions, maybe even a billion people on the earth, and it's saying um, there's so much evil in the world and there's so much violence in the world. There's only one family that's still placing their trust in me. You ever feel, feel alone in your spiritual journey? Man, just think about Noah. I mean, no one else. I mean, there's no one else like him outside of his family. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I'll destroy them um, with the earth. I'll destroy them and the earth. So 
judgment of God. It's saying um, God is a loving God, God is a patient God, but God is a just God, and there's a day where his patience runs out. And God said, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do a do-over, and, yes, and yet in my judgment, there's hope, because I'm not wiping everybody out, I'm, I, I'm wiping everybody out except the one family that still has trust in me. And so I'm gonna give humanity a second chance. He could have just said, that's done. Experiment gone bad, I, I'm done with this. He didn't need to uh, say, okay, I'm gonna keep a remnant of humanity and give you a new start. But that's what he did. Uh, here's the point that I think in this is we see God as judge and we need, we need God as judge. We need God as judge. Um, when we see judgment like this, this is obviously, it's horrific. It is brutal. But is it mean and cruel? Is, it, is God just a ticked off, angry God? All right? Um, if that's what you're thinking, I'm thinking you're not getting a clear view of the character of God. Um, is he just? Does, does injustice make him mad and sick? And does he want to wipe out injustice? Yes. Does that mean he's not a kind, merciful, gracious, loving God? No. It means both, right? So here you go. Um, let's think about this a little bit. I'm, I'm telling you that, that we need a God who's a judge. Now, do you know that there's little viruses that are eaten by big viruses all the time? Do you know that there are um, big fish who eat little fish? Does that upset you? Well, no. Because we think it's natural. I mean, in nature, that's what happens. It's natural. And yet, big are, you know, eating little. And yet, you know, hey, we, we live in a town that protests everything. And I haven't seen a lot of protesters out saying, hey, do you know there's big fish eating little fish? That is just wrong. No, we don't say that. Although, now that I say it, it's probably going to happen. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, we don't think it's wrong because we think, okay, that's nature. That's nature acting on nature. That's okay. All right. How about big tribes eating little tribes? Big nations eating little nations. Big people eating little people. Killing little people. Is that wrong? Yes, that's wrong. Why? We just said it's the way of nature. So for us to say that's wrong, that's, that's injustice, that, that, is, that, is, that does not sit well with me, well, what we're saying then is that there is something outside of nature that judges nature, all right? So Nietzsche, Nietzsche would, would say this. He says, if, if you, um, well, if I can find my quote from Nietzsche, here we go. If there is no God, there can be nothing wrong with violence. If there's no God, there can be nothing wrong with violence because then it's just nature, it's survival of the fittest, um, whatever's strong gets its way, and um, so there can be oppression and, and whatever, okay? And so you have to look to, at something outside of nature that's bigger than, than nature, that judges nature. And Nietzsche says, obviously you need to believe in some kind of divine being, supreme being, that has, a, um, that has a truth and a justice 
that overrides what we see in nature. And so the belief in a divine judge is what breaks the chain of violence. Now follow me. If you're mistreated and you're treated um, unjustly, well, what happens? Well, probably you're going to be mad, right? You're going to be really upset. So why don't you pick up a sword and attack? Well, because we know that I'm probably not the one that should exact judgment because I'm really limited in my understanding. I'm limited in my power. And I have a belief that there is a judgment outside of me. And ultimately, um, we, we believe that there is a God who is all of those things, who is fair, who does know all, sees all, and will exact judgment that is right and appropriate. And so that trust in a supreme being, a God who is, who is judge, and one day will rightly judge all, is what keeps us aligned from just having violence go rampant. Because it is not the law of the jungle, it is not the law of nature, it is we are connected to a higher law, which even if we don't recognize God, we're still living like we do. Is that making sense? You following me? And so we need a judgment of God. We need a divine judge. Now, how can he be, excuse me, both just and loving? All right, now, now verse five, look at this. Going back in chapter six, verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the heart would, of his thoughts, of his heart, were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And this is, this is called anthropomorphism. This is when we're giving um, God human emotions so that we can understand God, all right? And so he's pained, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. And so he's going to bring justice because he's a God of justice. He says in Exodus 34, I shall by no means let the guilty go unpunished. He's a just God. There has to be a, a, a judgment that is fair and just and evil must be punished. That's just the character of God. But there's also a love in the character of God at the same time. And so God's love for us is seen in his judgment. Yeah, as we look at the judgment of God, we also see there's actually salvation through judgment, and we'll talk about that later. But God is a good God. He can be trusted. He is fair and he's just. He's not going to let injustice go by without being punished. And yet he's a loving God. And so when he's bringing his own punishment to earth, because there is no respect for, for human life, there is just nonstop violence and people are not valuing the life that God created and others around them. It is, it's just, it's a lawless world. And God says, I, I'm, I gotta bring justice now. Uh, we're, we're gonna reboot. But my heart breaks. My heart breaks in what I'm having to do. It's not like, oh, that's a shame, bummer. No, it's, 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 it's a painful um, breaking of his heart is what it's telling us here. And so um, remember, God created us. <clears throat> he didn't need us. 
But when he created us, he loved us. He wanted to have a harmonious, perfect relationship together. And he says, you're going to thrive in that relationship. That's how you're created. You're created to um, live with your God and enjoy living with God. And now that's broken. And that has gone farther and farther. 1,600 years he's been patient in watching people, more and more people not trust him, walk away from him. And, and now it's all hell has literally broken loose. And it's breaking his heart. But he's got to bring it to a stop. Okay, so how can he be, how can he be just and loving? How can he be just and loving at the same time? If God was just just, if he was just all about truth and the consequences of doing um, wrong are I need to bring justice and punish you, then he would feel no pain. He would feel no pain in bringing justice. He would, he would just say, um, it's time for me to smite you and you deserve it. If God was all loving without justice, he wouldn't smite anybody. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. I love you. But no sense of justice would move him to protect right and wrong. Okay? This is saying, um, I'm bringing justice because I can't just stand watching wrong continually happening and people devouring people. I'm bringing that to an end. And yet... Um, that act of bringing justice pains my heart because I love you. And so he's a just God and he's a loving God at the same time. Genesis 6, 14 to 22. I'm not going to read it because, um, because I spent time in the first four verses. So there you go. Um, but here, God says, okay, no, I want you to build a barge, big barge, because I'm bringing a flood to the earth. I'm wiping out every living thing except that which is going to be saved in this boat. So I want you to build a big barge for you and your family, and then I'm gonna to bring to you both sexes of every um, species, all right? And you're gonna get them into the boat. And uh, evidently, like, the animals were much more obedient than the people, because they went, you know? And um, so here, here's some dimensions for you. Um, 100,000 square feet in this barge. 450 feet long, 45 feet high, 75 feet wide, um, three floors inside of it. Uh, in today's understanding, there'd be 570 container cars could fit inside that baby. Um, which is also interesting is there's, no, there's no, nothing in history um, that we are aware of that another boat or barge was made that big until 1853. So it was really an amazing feat by Noah. Um, animals came voluntarily. Uh, some believe that the animals w went and God put them into hibernation, which makes, which makes sense. It would you know, slow down their, um, their need for activity. It would slow, slow down their need for food. Uh, but we don't know that. Uh, for sure. Uh, the ark would be big enough to uh, house 125,000 sheep. All right, that, man, that stinks. Um, so now, we, we, you know, evidently there's, um, 
in looking this up, there's about 18,000 different species of mammals, birds, reptiles, and amphibians in the world. Um, so if there's two of each of those, that's 36,000 animals on this barge that could fit 125,000. Okay, so 36,000 on this thing. I know this all shapes and sizes, but if you say, okay, average, roughly, size of a sheep, then um, that means they're only using a third of the space. So then two-thirds of the space will be left for whatever provisions they needed and the animals needed. All right. Um, did they find the ark on, on Mount Ararat? I don't think so. Um, there's lots of stuff about it. You can go on YouTube. I mean, there's a really cool one where they're in, you know, down in the ice in a crevasse and they're seeing all this wood and evidently uh, it was all a hoax. Um, so I haven't, I haven't heard about that. So, but I don't need to. It's, it's my, my hope, my confidence in the Bible is not based on if they can find the ark. But uh, it'd be cool. Okay, chapter seven. Uh, starting about halfway through verse 11. On that day, all the fountains of the great, so now they're in, all the animals are in, and God says it's gonna happen. And uh, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And there's lots of speculation regarding, you know, what was the earth look, you know, like before the flood? And there's some that believe that um, the earth was, you know, kind of like a greenhouse, that there was all this moisture in the air. It blocked out um, a dangerous uh, ultraviolet rays. Um, the entire earth was a perfect place to grow. And, and, and so food was just readily available everywhere. And there was just like this greenhouse effect. And then that whole canopy, that whole um, moisture canopy around the earth fell during um, Noah and the ark. And then there's all these aquifers that were under the earth that, that burst up. And, and that's what created the flood. I don't know, it doesn't give us, you know, other than what I just told you. Great deep, from the great deep burst forth and the windows of heavens were opened. And so there was a unbelievable flood. It said that it covered the mountains by 22 feet, you know, the highest mountain around. Um, and so some people say this is a local event. I'm thinking of us covering mountains by 22 feet in Turkey, where they're at. And then those are some of the biggest mountains in the world. So uh, I'm thinking, yeah, that's going to be tough to be local. Um, plus, it wiped out all humanity that wasn't on the ark. So uh, I'm thinking global. Um, but what's for sure, it was one of the most, it was the biggest natural disaster ever in the history of man, nor that we've ever heard of. Um, so here, here's last, just a couple practical things for you as we close. Um, trusting God will set you apart from the crowd and may encourage some to follow. Um, man, there was, there was no other families that were aligned with Noah in following God. So parents, think about this. Um, there, there's nowhere in this story <clears throat> where God is talking to Noah's wife or God's talking to Noah's kids. And so Noah's saying, hey, um, I feel like God's telling me this. 
So sons, I want you to quit your jobs and we're gonna build a barge because it's gonna start raining. And they're going, say what? What? I mean, Noah's wife, you might think, oh, she lived in a culture where she had to obey. You know, oh, my, my husband's wonderful. I just do whatever he says. Not, I mean, you ever read about Job? Ancient history? What did Job's wife say? You're an idiot. Curse God and die. And die. Peace. I'm out. I mean, she left him because he was choosing to trust in God. Here's what happened, I think. 7-1. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. When nobody else was trusting God, Noah was. He lived a life of integrity. What he said he believed and how he lived matched. And that changed the life of his wife and the life of his kids. And so when it was still dry, and he says, time to get into this barge, they went. And that's the influence. Parents, I mean, there's nothing more influential, nobody more influential in your kid's life than you. And it's not what you teach. It is what you teach and then what you demonstrate that you believe in what you teach because of how you live. We have an advantage Noah didn't have. I mean, if, if, you, if you have kids, um, bring your kids to church. Man, Noah would have given his right arm to have some other people influence his kids in trusting God. He didn't have it. But you and I have that. Don't take it for granted. I mean, get your kids exposed to other people who are on the same journey you're on. God will use that. But even um, as impactful as that can be and how God can use that, um, the other six days of the week are more important for your kids to see you following and trusting God. It'll change their life. I know because that's what happened to me. I mean, I saw my dad, who uh, I lived in fear of, growing up because he had a temper. And um, when he wanted things done, he wanted things done yesterday. And um, he was impatient. And I respected him, but I feared him. And then I saw God transforming his life. And uh, he became more patient he became more encouraging. Um, giving me uh, affirmations. I saw him love people, begin serving people more. Sacrificing his time and energy and his money, his talents to serve other people. I saw him fall in love with the Bible. There'd be times where he'd come out of his room from studying his Bible and say, Bill, come here. I just want to tell you what I just learned. Life-changing. Life-changing. There's nothing more powerful in your kids' lives than for them to see you say you trust in a good God and then match your life to it. 
be a person of integrity and high character. And that was Noah. Um, by the way, last week, some of you brought your kids down and you packed meals. Um, last week, we had a meal packing. Thank you to all of you who did it. We, we packed 113,000 meals last week. Yeah. Um, these will be sent. Uh, I'm not sure where all they'll be sent, but they'll be for sure be sent to um, South America and to Ecuador and some villages we're working with there. Um, and they're, they're in impoverished conditions and um, we, ha we get a chance to care for families um, by providing healthy meals for them. And so thank you uh, for doing that, man. I'm just so proud of you. Um, Noah's adult children were changed because of Noah's faith in God. And so they trusted God too. And so in the midst of everything that was going wrong around Noah, he said, God, my hands are in your future. I will trust and follow you. So that's the question. As we, as we leave Noah and the ark and the judgment of God is, do you trust a just and loving God enough to give him your future? God brings salvation through judgment. He gave humanity a second chance. He stands against judgment. He are just, uh, injustice, he hates injustice. And in Genesis chapter six, as God brings judgment, we see his heart breaking. But later, when God became flesh and was put on a cross, we see his heart break. And we see total commitment to justice and total commitment to love. He was so committed to bringing consequences to sin that he died to pay the price for the consequences of sin. And yet he loved us so much and was committed so much to his love that he was willing to do it. Our God's a good God, he can be trusted. He's a, he's a just God and we need him to be just. But he's a loving God and he's pursuing you. That's the God we serve. Now let, let's bow our heads. And uh, I just wanna give you a chance to respond to that. Um, maybe as, as a parent or a grandparent, it is a, uh, it is a renewed commitment to um, to follow your loving and just God. And maybe in that, um, you, you'll impact family and friends. And then for some, um, you, you may be here and you're going, yeah, I know I'm on a spiritual journey. I know God's been getting my attention and, uh, and I know he's, I'm willing to bank today that he's a loving and just God and I'm gonna put my hope in him. And if that's where you're at, just talk to God. In the quietness of your heart, you can just talk to God and just say, God, I know you love me. And, uh, and I know you're perfect and you're just. And I have lived much of my life um, 
living for myself, doing what I think's right, not really caring what you say is right. And so I know that that's wrong and you're a just God and so I ask forgiveness. And based upon your love for me and the sacrifice you made, I ask you to forgive me and I trust in what you've done for me. And so now I wanna live with you. I wanna learn to trust you more and more and allow you, when you created me, God, I want you to make me into the person you created me to be. Thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if, you, if you're here and, and you happen to pray along with me this morning and um, place your trust in Jesus, then I'm gonna ask you to do something that's gonna be real quick, it's gonna be real easy, but as soon as we're done, when we're all dismissed, you can go out into the middle and I believe it's the new here station, our start here station as you walk out and um, go right there and just say, hey, I just prayed along with Bill today. They have some information for you. It's just some, hey, here's some thoughts for you as you start this new chapter of your journey with God. And um, here's some practical tips that might be helpful to you in that journey. And so uh, make sure you stop by and grab that piece of paper. If you're online and you prayed along with me this morning, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps. Fill out the information there so we know how to get that, um, that sheet to you as well. And we'd love to do that. You know, uh, today we get a chance to uh, participate in celebrating as a faith family with some people who have placed their trust in a good God and they are um, walking with them. And today they're going to be baptized. And so uh, let's celebrate with them and let's look at the uh, screens here to watch their story.